lesson of modern education is Woke kids step, wise kids step, college kids step I'm woke Read more, learn more, change the globe You must learn This is Woke Wise College Kids Hi, welcome to Woke Wise College Kids. I'm your host, Dr. Erin. Welcome to a special episode dedicated to First Generation Recognition Month. The actual day, however, is a celebration is November the 8th, this Friday. And I just wanted to do this episode. It wasn't planned, but I really wanted to take the time out to recognize this day. It's a very new celebration as Colleges and universities have recognized the need to pay attention to first-generation students. So just in case you didn't know, first-generation means that you're, well, there's a lot of definitions, but first-generation means that your parents did not attend college, that they only have a high school diploma, or they didn't really the definitions that they really didn't go to college. There's a lot of definitions out there, but the the main thing is that your parents didn't go to college and you're the first one in your family um, that has actually gone to college. First generation used to be a, a, a bad word, but I really wanted to use that as a way to empower yourself. Um, First-generation students are resilient. They're fighters. Um, So just wanting to frame that conversation around how we recognize ourselves. So first-generation cuts across all races, actually all income. However, minority and low-income students tend to be first-generation, but that's not always true. So this past week, I was invited to speak at a community college in Maryland, and they were celebrating First Generation Month. They had their celebration a little bit early than than, um, probably the rest of the country. It was sponsored by Student Support Services, which is a TRIO program. And TRIO is a huge government program that sponsors Overbound, Talent Search. Um, some of you may have been participants in some of these programs, but Student Support Services is one of the programs that supports college students. So, and I don't know if I talked about this on other episodes, I was a member of TRIO when I was in high school, and uh, my sister worked for trio as one of her first jobs out of college. I worked for trio. I taught for Upward Bound. Um, I supervised a couple of trio programs when I was in higher administration. But trio is near to my heart. And one of the federal programs, all of trio is actually dedicated to helping first generation low income students through college. So they start as early as middle school and high. they go all the way through high school. They even help veterans. So TRIO is very near dear to my heart. So speaking at the at a community college and especially for student support services on First Generation Day meant a whole lot. So I wanted to take time and dedicate this episode to First Generation. And I'd like to share a little bit about what I talked about with them. 
And I did not want to frame my presentation around what makes us, and I say us, I'm definitely a first generation student. My parents did not go to college, although they do have some post high school education. Um, but I'm the, I am, as far as my relationship to my parents, I'm the first one to go to college. I do have an older sister, so we're both first-generation students. Um, And I didn't want to frame the conversation or my presentation to the students as one of deficiency and pointing out what we don't have and how we're so different. But I really wanted to frame it as an empowering conversation and put it in another context. So As I was researching and preparing, I came across a definition that, like I said, there's several definitions for first generation, but there was one that mentioned cultural capital. And so that really got me to thinking, I've always heard it, but for some reason it clicked differently in my mind. And I titled my, end up titling my presentation, The Business of Success, Increasing Your Capital as a First Generation Student. So I dug a little bit deeper. And of course, as my journey of being a social entrepreneur, I knew what capital was. And um, but I wanted to see it through the the lens of the theory that this is based on. And I won't go into that. But it is a sociology theory that maintains that money isn't the only capital. So you probably heard capital If you watch Shark Tank or if you've seen the cabbage commercials or any kind of business commercials or business, um, anything in the news where they're saying they're trying to raise capital to build a startup or investors are asking for uh, or giving X number of dollars towards capital in return for this much of profit. So you've heard this word before, but the theory maintains that there's more than money capital, there's social capital, there's cultural capital, but in between it all, of course, is economic capital. The definition of capital is any wealth or in the form of money or other assets owned by a person or organization available or contributed for a particular purpose, such as starting a company or investing. So there are three types of capital. Social capital, cultural capital, and economic capital. And the reason why capital is mentioned isn't is because just just like I mentioned before, first generation students can be students from high income families. It could be students um, from different races. It doesn't they don't have to be a minority. So what's the reason that students, First-generation students don't perform as well as their other generation peers. And when I say don't perform as well, I mean a third of all the first-generation students who enter college, only a third graduate with a college degree. And that's in comparison to two-thirds of other generation, meaning that their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents all went to college. So if it's not money and is not race, what is the other factor that leads students not to perform as well or not to achieve a college degree as at a higher rate than their peers? And it's about capital. And so when I spoke to the students, 
I really stress the part that it's not is not about money at all. So we can't use that that ex, that excuse. Um, but even as a first generation student, I, I explained that I felt like I was missing something, and it wasn't until I graduated college and I finished grad school that I realized that I was missing capital. It wasn't the money. It was just the it was just something missing. I just felt like I wasn't a part of a conversation or I missed a class or I missed a workshop or it's, I didn't he- if something that I didn't hear, I didn't learn along the way that caused my time as a postgrad student to become really confusing. And I, uh, I was really frustrated. So capital is actually the difference in how in how first-generation students succeed in college. And it's really simple, although it may seem complicated, but it's really simple. It's so if your parents, um, just think back to if you're a first-generation student, or if you're not, just think back to the time when you were going through the college admissions process. If you were, if you're not a first-generation student, who helped you through it? You Like you probably have been around college in some form of way. Have you heard it? You heard your parents talk about their friends or their experience. Um, you may have went to homecomings with them since you were a child. You went to um, maybe alumni events. You've heard your parents' friends who probably have degrees as well by association talk about their experience. You probably were involved in college camps or or pre-college camps or anything like that. So just by association, you've been exposed to college. If you compare that with first-generation students and thinking back um, to their college admissions process, their parents probably weren't so sure about what to do. They may have relied on the high school counselor. Um, Just, you just were just feeling cold. You may not have been on a college campus before, um, high school before you toured, like did a formal tour of college. That may have been your first time on a college campus when you're in high school or any kind of event or trip that your school may have sponsored. So just that glimpse into the two different types, it, it changes exposure. Like first generations may not have that exposure to the lingo and the talk and the things they can expect as a college student, that changes how you interact and how you perceive college. And of course, your perception and your thoughts, that facilitates behaviors and actions and things like that. So exposure and perception plays a big part, as well as knowledge of things. So your parents probably have knowledge since they our grandparents, um, they have knowledge of college. So they're able to say, hey, I made this mistake. We corrected it with your mom or I corrected it. Um, I hope to correct it with you. That means that you are in a better position because you are learning from their mistakes. So your college process or admission or just college experience may be a little bit different. So what's the difference in success rates? We talked about that's capital. So let's look at it from a more practical standpoint. 
if your parents have gone to college, we know that college degrees equals higher salaries. Um, They're able to put more away for your college. They may have a college fund. On the other hand, first-generation students may come from a family that has a lower income and they may not be able or not have the knowledge or be associated with that knowledge to know I need to start a college fund. And college funds means your tuition or any gaps in your tuition are taken care of. You don't have to work for it. You can choose to go to any college you want to. Um, and that that kind of leads to less time working and more time to focus on school, which means puts you in a better position to achieve um, at achieve higher academic status, um, better schools. So if your parents may have a degree, higher income, you have a better chance of going to better schools, which means you are used to harder classes and you may be better prepared for your first year in school. Exposure to college life. So just being on a college campus. Um, my example that I use I am coaching a few of my um, family and com- and people in the community there, kids, and we had a discussion. Actually, this is this discussion came out from me talking to a high school high school class at one of um, a small rural high school near me, and we talked about matching and how to find a school that that matches your personality and your needs. One of their questions was, can we bring cars to school? And I said, not all universities have cars. And they were like, well, how are we going to get to each building? And I said, you walk. And so just because they haven't been on a college campus, they couldn't imagine walking to class if you're in a large high school very large high school your your classes are in a bigger building but this is a small high school they've never been on a college uh college campus so i had to explain to them that they you have 10 minutes to get to class they have to walk most places and so parking is a commodity and some universities say okay well freshmen can't have their cars and they usually only allow upper class students. So that was just one question, one like point of having exposure and knowing the ins and outs of college. Now you may think that seems small, but it may be that the parent um, doesn't know this and may work, may put effort when they don't need one in, in getting their student a car, when in fact they could have either chosen another school in order for them to have access to um, their cars and parking, or they could have said, hey, let's save this money. Um, let's continue to save so we can get you a better car in your second year when you'll be able to park and use it. So that's just one thing of how exposure leads to decision-making and and how you decide on a college or, or just how you handle your finances. Network. So other generations... 
have gone to college, your parents and grandparents have gone to college, they're in this bigger network of people they went to college with and graduated with, and now they have access to all kinds of professionals. They, you know, they go um, go out to eat often with doctors and nurses and accountants and people who are working at different places across the country. Their network has, has been different. So it doesn't take much if you're looking, if you need something, your parents' network probably has it in some form or fashion. Um, I explained this when I was looking and I was job searching um, the last couple of years and knowing that to get a job in this job market, you have to know people in order for them to pull your application and recommend you and tell you about the jobs that aren't published. You need to know people. And for me, I needed people who were either vice presidents or presidents of universities or in some type of capacity. I tapped all my network. I lived in Louisiana, worked at a few universities. I had tapped all of my resources. Um, My parents didn't have anybody in that network. They may have been like five degrees off. Um, So I didn't have a lot of people I can reach out to and say, hey, I'm job searching. Um, Can you connect me to this, this, and this person? So you have established support and a network, and that helps you to find better job, have better job mobility, financial support um, equals personal security. A lot of first gen, like I say, come from lower incomes. And sometimes you have to worry about basic needs in life. You have to worry about food and gas and um, transportation, whereas other generation, this goes back to the college fund and being able to have financial support, they don't have to worry about that. They don't have to work as much. It's not a worry. They can now put their energy and focus onto other things like internships and, um, you know, uh, volunteering and doing things that they would normally do if they had to worry about money. And speaking of internships, so you don't have to work. You're able to pay, take non-paid internships. Non-paid internships lead to higher starting wages. And the cycle starts all the way back over. So now their kids are able to benefit from higher wages because they're able to save and go to better schools and they already have the experience. So the cycle of this um, either way can lead to a cycle. So if first generation students don't happen to complete college, sometimes they're stuck in that first gen mode and that gets passed down to your kids. And likewise, other generation, if, if, a family has a history of going to college for multiple generations, that is a cycle that's usually continued. And so first generation students have to break barriers and odds in order to break that cycle. And that takes a whole lot of effort. And so first generation students and graduates have resilience. They have the strength, they have the perseverance perseverance, and that that is actually what employers are looking for. They're looking for grit. They're looking for students who are going to work hard. They're looking for students who are not going to let challenges 
um, get them down and make them quit. So as a first generation college student, you have a lot to offer. But if you understand the principle of capital, you can have that other generation mindset. It's it's all about you not getting money, but by getting what has helped other generation students succeed. And that's right at your fingertips and it's definitely possible. So how do you increase capital? So first, let's talk about cultural capital. Cultural capital is the accumulation of knowledge, behaviors, and skills that a person can tap into to demonstrate one's cultural competence and social status. So everybody has cultural capital. However, unfortunately, all cultures, all cultures, capital are not valued the same. So you have to, of course, value your own culture and, and capital. Um, but you have to be very strategic and smart about understanding other cultures and using that to your advantage in order to to have greater economic mobility and cultural mobility. So the first way you can obtain cultural capital is finish your degree. If you think about any time you hear, um, and that was kind of one of my reasons for pursuing a PhD, I don't often use or, or have people call me Dr. Wheeler all the time. That's just, but I wanted to say, hey, hey, I'm Erin. How are you? And then they may read my resume or see on my card that, oh, you're Dr. Wheeler. And that, even that recognition puts you at a small advantage. Now they're re- ready to listen and they validated uh, what you have. That's cultural capital. So titles are cultural capital. Degrees are cultural capital because our society values those things. So finish your degree, get additional credentials. Even with my PhD, I'm always on a hunt. How do I get credentials, certificates that I can add to my resume? Um, I really am interested in getting a certificate in nonprofit leadership or higher education leadership, executive leadership. So the first thing you can do is finish your degree. Um, Seek leadership opportunities. People are interested in, again, titles and positions of power. So if you can dedicate your time to a particular organization or couple and your vice president, treasurer, whatever, that puts you in a different circle and network and it it gets you additional knowledge um, and it just adds a little bit of cultural capital. Attend a variety of multicultural events. So not just plays of things you enjoy, go outside the culture. So if there's a Asian... um, cultural event on campus go there meet people make sure you you you, um befriend and you build relationships with others outside your race and culture and background this is still cultural capital because if you're inside of a boardroom or you meet people you need to know how to interact with different cultures if you know that that represents an additional knowledge source and they're going to respect you more so that lends to respect and respect gives you the opportunity to pursue your own passions and for people to listen to you and respect your ideas and to get your ideas um, to further your ideas read a variety of books so 
when you're engaging in conversation with people while you're waiting for a plane in the grocery store in between interviews or getting ready for job interviews to start or at conferences when you're trying to network, you need things to talk about. And so cultural capital, if you're able to go from one conversation to another, different topics from news to politics, to what's going on internationally, um, to what's on the radio, to TV shows, like you need to be able to handle different conversations and to go in and out of different um, different topics. So even if it's something as silly as a meme or something as serious as uh, the crisis in Syria, you need to be able to handle those conversations. And those conversations um, can help further your networks, in which we'll talk about in social capital. Travel nationally and internationally. Being exposed to again different cultures, how they, what are their traditions, how, uh, what are their customs, what do they eat, what do they listen to, um, what are their histories. This allows you to demonstrate um, or have greater cultural capital, and cultural capital leads to social capital. So once you have that knowledge, you're able to build networks, and again, networking is key to building businesses, to um, having greater job opportunities, um, to move up on your job, to just it networking helps so much. So social capital is the collection of social relations an individual an individual has at one's disposal with peers, friends, families, and colleagues, and neighbors, anybody. It's just building relationships. So join a variety of organizations. So for me, this has been my goal at this point in my life. Like I need to break out. So I've, you know, decided to start small, start where where I am. So I'm doing more with a small committee in my alumni association. And that's allowed me to meet different people. Um, I want to join more civic organizations like National Urban League or different things like that to just broaden my circle and meet different people from different walks of life. Network. So networking, um, not only by joining organizations, but just talking and exchanging cards. I truly admit this has been a struggle for me for a long time because I am very, uh, very introverted. I'm actually in the middle because I'm extrovert when I have to be, but I prefer solitude and not talking. Um, but networking is very important. So that for me is a goal to be able to network efficiently. So making sure I follow up right now, I have like five cards from a conference that I just went to and I needed to follow up. But that's that part is going to actually help me in my current position. Um Secure mentors from a variety of backgrounds. So your mentor doesn't have to look like you. Make sure you, and they don't have to agree with you. They could be very opposite, but mentoring, um, mentoring, you can get knowledge from anybody. So it could be for one of your goals. It could mentoring, once they get to know you, they have a mentors are able to introduce you to their network once they find that you um they can vouch for you and that you 
how how you act with them, they can vouch that you're going to act that way with their network. So they want to be able to trust you and that um, because you become a representation of them. So secure mentors from a variety of backgrounds, build that relationship so they're comfortable introducing them to their friends and their trusted network because networking and relationships is all about trust, honesty, and um, transparency. That's how you build relationships. So it's not about just knowing people by name is whether that you have a true relationship with them. Um, cultivate relationship with, with anyone. Anybody is valuable. It could be um, first start with the, the people in your class. A lot of, of the help that I'm getting now comes from my peers that I graduated high school and college with because they're now professionals in their fields. So I have friends that are chiropractors, accountants, um, marketers, and career coaches, and I definitely go to them for advice. So some some other people may, they may say, hey, you need to schedule an appointment and pay me this much per hour. But I have trusted friends who I can say, hey, I just need your, your expertise or your insight on this. Can you speak to me um, for about 10 minutes? Or can I run this by you? Or what do you think of this? I need a second opinion. That saves you a lot of money if you have that in your network. And so that's kind of how that's connected to economic capital, which we'll get to. So all of these are related to each other, but everyone is valuable. Don't don't think that the most powerful people or people you perceive as power are the only people you need to network. For me, um, befriending assistants and um, even facilities or janitors or anybody you never know how how much those um those people in those positions have greater influence than the people that have that perceived power um even for me respecting and building relationships with students you never know who who their parent knows or um anybody you never know who grandma knows or or um who goes to church with with each other so though like you never know who people know and you always have to be careful of who you talk to and how you talk to them because they could be your most valuable asset one day and be open to living somewhere else so I agreed to move nine hours away like it wasn't even something I had to think about because it's like there will be no other time for me to be able to pick up and move this easily. And I need another network. I need to meet new people outside of the people that I've known in Louisiana. I had felt that I had reached the ceiling. So even my time in Kentucky, I met a different network and now I have access to everybody's network of who I met there. Um, and it's been really helpful for, for me in building my consulting business and just getting my name out there, even with the books that I've written, um, the books that I've, the one book that I wrote and the book that I'm in a process of writing. Um, so just be open to living somewhere else, just meeting a variety of people. Um, I even encourage uh, my good friend and she just moved to California and I said, well, you get a brand new network 
of people who are in this huge university system and just think about what that can do for you and your next career move. And her next career move might be a year from now or two years or three years, but she's in the process of building those relationships right now. Um, And one book that I've read that's really changed my whole outlook and that was recommended to me by my career coach. I hope to have him on an episode one day. It's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And this is the book that I read in conjunction to him giving me homework on networking, LinkedIn networking, just like emailing random people, not random, they're strategic people, but people that didn't know me at all and being able to start from that connection on LinkedIn to building a rapport with them over the phone through email and eventually adding them to my network and slowly building a relationship with them. So that book is How to Win Friends and Influence People that even have one that's dedicated to this topic in relation to the tech age. So how do you do that when we're so social media driven? Like we're so texting, nobody calls anybody anymore. Uh, Nobody meets in person anymore. So those two books, they're the same book, same information, just applied in a different way. I definitely advise you to, to read this book. And lastly, we have economic capital. So economic capital is a mediator between social and cultural. So, you know, most people associate with people in their own economic bracket. That's just how things work. You live in the same, uh, you can afford to live in this neighborhood. So you're going to go to school with the same people. You're going to live with the same people. You're going to see those people at the grocery store you're going to go see those people at church and at community events and those are just the people who you know you you talk about the same things you probably shop at the same stores wear similar brands are interested in the same movies you're going to or demanding the same cultural types event that's just how it is so your economics have a whole lot to do with Um, your social and your cultural capital. But that doesn't mean that you have to stay there. You just have to take that same theory or concept and apply it to you. You don't have to have the money. You just have to access the knowledge and the network. So here is some ways you can increase your economic capital. And economic capital is money and wealth. And a lot of people can have People can have money, a lot of money, but they don't necessarily have wealth, which means something that's going to be sustainable over time or adds value over time. Um, So some ways you can start to to increase your economic capital, which is so important, especially for us low income students um, and students from first generation backgrounds. Number one primary number one take this from me your big sister (laughs) use your student loans responsibly if someone would have told me and my friends to not uh use our student loan refunds or just not even loan refunds i didn't even have loans in undergrad i had them in grad school um if they would have taken say hey take this lump sum of lump sum of money that you get because your tuition was taken care of and you have a refund, 
Like if someone would have told us to invest that and not spend it frivolously, we would have been in a better place right now, way better place. Um, So use your student loans responsibly. This is how it's connected to you in the future. Your student loan repayment is probably $200 to $300, depending on what your salary is once they once you have to pay them back and how much you've actually taken out. But $200 in like adult real world is a lot. Like you can do a lot. Like that could mean you're increasing your savings or you don't have to use credit cards as much. Um, You don't have to have high interest loans. That little $200, $300 is a lot, but that can go to help save and invest or, Um, add to your own um, money to do a startup or start your side hustle that money makes a difference even if it was $50 that money makes a difference and it adds up so use your student loans responsibly so in the future you have more money to save and invest and so instead of giving money away you're now adding more money to yourself and increasing your wealth Um, so save and invest um, monetize your knowledge. So a lot of, um, we are actually really fortunate that we can, we're in an age where everybody can make something from themselves, from just being authentic. Think about all your Instagram stars who <clears throat> get a lot of their money and from advertising or, or they're able to just monetize their brand. You can monetize your knowledge. If you learn something really, really well and you know that you're an answer, everybody is an answer to some solution that's out there. So if you find your lane and you monetize your knowledge, I'm not just talking about on the job, but you find a way that you can do, you can consult or coach or write an ebook or um, have some type of service where people pay you to transfer your, what you know to them to help them. Strengthen your negotiation skills. So one of my upcoming episodes for season two will have one of my good friends, uh, Jackie Twilly. She actually um, actually did the, the, the one thing that we talked about, not monetizing her knowledge. So she has a background in business and she's always talked about careers and um, saving and investing and things like that. But she actually learned and built her grew her knowledge in negotiation and salary negotiations particularly and so she's written a book and she does workshops and trainings and personal coaching coaching to women particularly on how to negotiate their salaries salaries so if you learn how to strengthen your negotiation skills to advocate for yourself. So this is how this ties into um, to first-generation students. Again, it's a cycle. We have to work to break it. First-generation students usually come from low-income households or just don't have that knowledge of business and jobs and self-advocacy. So it's kind of like, this is a good job. 
oh, it's paying you this much. This is a good job. Just take it. You know, you don't want to mess up a good thing. But in the real world, everything can be negotiated. And I didn't have this tip when I first started out. It just wasn't talked about. But if you're in that cycle, you don't advocate for yourself. You don't negotiate. You cut yourself out of thousands of dollars a year if you don't negotiate. Again, a thousand, that little difference can go into savings and investments. Um, So if you strengthen your negotiation skills, and we found even with first generation students or low income students who do have degrees, they're still at a lower salary than other students and then other generation students. Um, So strengthening negotiation skills is really, really important. Get internships. This helps you to increase your starting salary. And once you have a a solid starting salary, all your salaries usually fall in line because they have to pay you more, especially if it's a different job or promotion. They have to pay you more than what you made last time. So if you start low, you're going to end low. But if you start at a good place, you can be better shape salary wise and getting internships is the number one way because you probably have more knowledge than just a student more on the job knowledge than just a student with with, with than a student with just a degree so get internships and then work towards seven streams of income um when i saw this concept a few years ago this made so much sense to me um so Seven streams of income. One stream of income is not going to is your your job is only going to pay for basic necessities. You may be able to save a little bit, but once you learn, once you get into adulting, once you get into adulting, you will find so many other <laughs> expenses that you need. Whether it's when you buy a house, like you, it's not just your mortgage. You have to pay for things. Um, your car, you have to pay, is not just the car note. There's other things that comes along with that. Um, And then once you learn that, like I need seven streams of income to be comfortable for retirement, you don't want to work all your life. Um, You don't, you probably may not even want to work from a regular nine to five all your life. You want to have your own company, your own freedom. But if you have other streams of income, you're not, um, you're not just stuck at at one job, especially if you don't find that um, you don't find that enjoyable anymore. So seven streams of income. You have interest, of course. I think you get from savings accounts or or CD deposits or any other type of uh, savings where you get interest. You gain interest from your money being held somewhere. Dividends from investments. There's little apps, Stash, Acorn, where you can start investing as little as 50 cents to a dollar. And once you see that you made, even if it's like 25 cents, you didn't have to work for that. You didn't have to sweat. Like your money is making money and you're doing something else. Capital gains, that's a sell from investments. You have royalties, products you sell or license. So I get royalties from the books that I have. Um, and once this podcast grows, I may be able to, to get royalties from advertisements or, or income from advertisements. You have rental income from real estate. So that could be flipping houses or actually having um, 
rental income. And then of course you have business income, the things you, the, the money you make after you paid off expenses from your, from whatever business you may have. Um, and these are seven streams that doesn't require you to do much work. And people who are involved in these kinds of income gaining activity usually have a different social and cultural um, background. And so you can see how it's full circle. Like it's it's all about the people who you're around and the knowledge you have and so the people who understand this concept of seven streams of income, if you're able to network with them, you can gain more insight. So social, economic, and cultural capital all play a role. And you have to think outside of your degree in order to break the cycle um, that that is um, involved with being a first-generation student. So now your your child won't be first generation he'll he or she will have all the knowledge that you acquire and they can go further than what you've had they can be in different networks or they can know more in their life um they'll make mistakes but they don't have to make the same mistakes they'll make new ones and they'll be at a different place where they can have more opportunities and more flexibility and more time to explore and find themselves and discover. So what you do right now affects your generation. Um, And so this is how you can increase your capital to improve right now for you, but also to pay it forward to your kids and your grandkids. So capital it's not just about money. It's about knowledge and network. And that's most times either absolutely free or very low cost. If you can't find or afford a career coach or a financial investor, you can read about it. You can join organizations. You can do any of this. And it's only going to take a little time and maybe a small investment. Money is able to give you access to knowledge and network Um, Gaining capital now can help you in college, life, and career. So that the first job you get out of college, if you network now, you can can have a better starting salary than your peers if they didn't have this information. And capital is inheritable. You'll be able to pass this along to your children. You can change the trajectory of your family for years to come. And other generations have known this concept for ages, for years, for hundreds of years. So that is, um, so that, this is what I'm thinking about in terms of first generation celebration day. We're resilient. We are, um, we are able to beat the odds. We have grit. We have uh, the right coping skills. We are independent and we have what it takes, but If we can understand the concept of capital and understand why it is that we are, quote unquote, at a disadvantage from our peers, we can fill that gap ourselves and we can compete with 
with anyone we come in contact with because we will have the necessary resources and the knowledge in order to compete against our peers who are other generations. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. It's not as refined and cleaned up (laughs) as the other episodes that you heard. I'm working on that to just be candid and talk to you guys about what I know. So that is, uh, that's all for this episode. And I am actually, after I publish this episode, I hope to put out a special t-shirt celebrating first generation, um, month. It has, um, it just really like puts out in front who we are. And I think it's so important to take advantage of, or, or make something that was probably not necessarily meant to be a bad thing, but maybe it could be stigmatized into, you know, they're at risk, that word at risk. I don't like it. So I'm trying to change the language on what it means to be a first generation student, what it means to be a low income student, um, what it means to be a minority college student and using what using our background and what we have as leverage and not as something that's risky. We have a lot of good things going on. Um, We have a lot of things that were probably meant to make us um, quote unquote at risk, but it's actually a strength. We have a lot of things um, that make us successful. So just really saying that loud and proud and making it a good thing and changing the narrative. That's what I want this t-shirt to be. So um, if you follow Be Preppy, if you follow me at Aaron Wheeler PhD on all my social media channels, you'll see the t-shirt that we're putting out. And each t-shirt sale is actually going to help Be Preppy coach students and give students in low-income schools and rural schools more experience in um college prep and taking them on more things that's going to help them build everything we just talked about cultural and economic and social capital so thank you for listening Um, be sure to follow us on all social media channels and if you are on a campus and you're hearing this make sure you attend any of the first generation events if they don't have it find a department and say hey next year we should celebrate first generation month in November and First Generation Day is always around the 8th or the 9th. I think it's like the first Friday in November. So thank you. hope you enjoyed this episode. Leave me feedback, comments, and any questions you may have. Bye-bye. This podcast is sponsored by BePreppy.com, a college coaching company. Head over to BePreppy.com for free college success resources and to learn how you can secure a personal college coach. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on all social media channels at BePreppyLLC.